The San Francisco Dance Film Festival presents Dancing Through the Lens, a bi-monthly podcast featuring guests from our dance and filmmaking communities, both near and far. Dancing Through the Lens offers a platform for artists in the dance world to share their interests and insights and discuss how they use film to create work and connect with audiences. I'm Claire Schweitzer. And I'm Coral Martin. This week, we spoke with Robert Deckers, the founder and artistic director of Post Ballet. Robert participated in our collaboratory program in 2017 and has produced several dance films over the past few years, including a viral interpretation of the Nutcracker's Waltz of the Snowflakes. We had an illuminating conversation about his interest in interdisciplinary collaborations and how he believes that the events of last year began to pave the way for greater accessibility and inclusion in ballet. Robert Deckers, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. What a treat. So you have collaborated uh, with SFDFF uh, in many different ways over the last few years. But for some of our new listeners who might not be familiar with you or your work, uh, can you give a brief description of who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm the artistic director of Post Ballet and Berkeley Ballet Theater. Um, I started Post Ballet about 12 years ago to provide a space for artists working in dance to collaborate with artists working in other disciplines. So over the last decade, we worked with uh, architects and sculptors, composers, visual artists, um, fashion designers, uh, really just kind of seeing how dance could integrate with different mediums to create new work. and. Um, it's been you know, always a passion of mine to see how dance could integrate with film as well. Um, over the past several years, I've had the opportunity, um, in, in large part thanks to San Francisco Dance Film Festival and various opportunities that um, have been provided to me to explore this curiosity. Um, I was able to participate in the CoLab series, which paired me with filmmaker Marta Dimek and um, really gave me a chance to build something um, in a really professional environment and kind of learn a lot about the collaborative process with a filmmaker. Um, since then, I've uh, had the chance to make several other short films, and particularly this past year, um, as live performance has uh, gone dark, uh, it's been really wonderful to kind of take that interest in dance filmmaking and really like dive into it with full force. So both with my professional company, Post Ballet, as well as with the school, Berkeley Ballet Theater, we've had the chance to work on several short films that um, really have given all of us a chance to continue creating and sharing our work with our community during this time. I think as a young dancer in training, at least speaking from my own experience uh, growing up, I mean, way back in the mid-2000s, uh, the world <laughs> of dance film really didn't seem very consolidated. To me, it kind of came in little bits and uh, pieces and maybe like a maybe a DVD or like a VHS tape that was shown during a class. But as when you were yeah. a dancer in training, how did you first encounter dance film? I think a lot of the first like you know, engagements I had with dance on film were sort of like 
well well crafted uh, archival you know presentations of live performances, um, which was still really exciting to see how you could zoom in on a dancer's face at a key moment and show an emotion, um, or kind of uh, using even just like the angle that you're shooting from to see someone in the foreground, another dancer in the background, things that might be present in the choreography that could be amplified by the way that the videography was done. Um, you know, I think one of the first like actual like made for film dances that I saw was the Netherlands Dance Theater Black and White Ballets, um, which really to me, both as like a dancer and a choreographer and a collaborator in general, was really a pivoting point for me. Um, I remember, you know, like particularly like that Petite Moore scene where, um, you know, which is of course a incredible ballet as well and you know when they run forward with that sheet and then wash the stage clean you know in a live performance it's really powerful but in a way on the film because of the way they were able to do it 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 was even more like I just even thinking about it still get goosebumps um, and it was like a moment where I saw that not only could film like share dance with more people but it actually could amplify the choreographer's intentions and really like convey emotions and story in like a new and really meaningful way um, so that was, I remember that film really, you know, um, made a big impact on me. Um, and there was another film that I remember seeing as a student. Um, it was, I believe it was called Amelie uh, by La 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 Human Dance Steps. Do you know that film? Oh, yeah. Um, and again, like the use of uh, lighting and film and um, just uh, one, you know, I would have never seen that dance company otherwise if it weren't for the film. So there's one element of just like the accessibility that film provides. Um, you know, live performance is so great, but the number of people who can be there is limited by economic status. It's limited by like where you're living, like your, you know, like actual location. Um, it's limited by the size of the audience. Um, there's so many factors that make live performance um, sort of like an exclusive experience. Um, and of course, like I do love live performance, but I think for me, I'm really interested in seeing like how can we democratize this art form? How can we create the most access to what we do um, that transcends like people's you know socioeconomic status and their ability to like physically be present in a space? And you know that that film, I I just was so moved by the dancers, by the performance, and by the way that the use of film was able to not only convey the emotions that I think were present in the choreography, but also could you know expand who had access to it. I also want to mention for our audience, all the works that are mentioned in this podcast will be linked in the show notes. And um, awesome. I second that um, uh, Edward Locke's uh, Amelie is a yes. fantastic, fantastic uh, example of dance film. But how did you start actually creating dance film? Uh, did you uh, start with collaborating with a filmmaker or did you try to make your own dance film work? Um, I think some of the the first things that I did, you know, I actually use like just filming rehearsals and then going into like iMovie or something and cutting and pasting and slowing down and it's part of my choreographic process. So I'll actually take, you know, I'll make, you know, say like a phrase with the dancers and go in and then, oh, what if we moved that here? Um, what if we repeated that three times? How would that fit with the music? Um, so, you know, I actually just kind of use film in my own creative process. Um, so it's always been something like I'm 
interested. I'm, I, I'm certainly not a videographer, and my films always look terrible because I'm focused. I'm like dancing with the dancers as I'm like recording. So uh, it's, but it's, um, you know, it's something that I've been really, you know, like I said, interested in. And so I think some of the first engagements I had were with um, people who, you know, also just were kind of interested in how, you know, how to film dance. And you know, one of my first projects was with um, Morgan Fraser, who did all of her work on an iPhone. Um, it was very low budget, but it, you know, what's great about that is that you can kind of go into places um, that you might not other be able to go with a big film crew. So we were able to get shots that were um, just very like um, intimate with the dancer in these different spaces. Um, and you know, even just seeing with what an iPhone could do was like, wow, like this is, you know, this took my choreography and then just totally took it to the next level. Um, you know, and then of course the experience with the collab at SF Dance Film Festival was really kind of the first time I had a budget to really make a film um, where I could actually, you know, have the resources to not only work with a director but also with a DP and and working, you know, and and again it was such a learning process because you know, um, even like the color correction at the end, what an impact that makes on the uh, emotional experience that you have as a viewer. Um, and so really seeing how all of these things could be a part of, um, you know, it's like almost like a whole other uh, layer of your choreography, you know? Like, I think what, um, what I've really learned throughout all of my experiences is that, you know, choreographing the dance, you know, like is just the first part of it. Then it's like, oh, can we use this glitch effect to connect with this sound in the music? Could we add this filter for this scene? Because I really want it to feel melancholic and I really want to convey this sense. Um, you know, and so you can use all these elements of film uh, to really just, you know, expand upon the ideas that you're building. And um, so, yeah, after that experience with the Dance Film Festival, um, you know, I, I had a couple other opportunities. I worked um, with a videographer who was working in like um, 3D uh, or virtual reality film. And we took a Lavender Country, which is a piece that we worked on with um, the band by the same name and kind of made a very short little 3D film, which again was, um, you know, like it was a, a big learning process. Um, I really would love to explore more work in like a virtual, uh, you know, world. Um, but, you know, that again just gave me like an opportunity to just play. And I think that's kind of the big thing that I would say to uh, any dancer or choreographer who's interested in exploring how their work could connect with film is like, just go in and play. Um, you know, I think so many artists, uh, cinematographers and editors, and they also are really excited to work with dancers and with people who embody like physicality in that way. And, um, and so I think, you know, that would be just the big thing is like, you know, see what your curiosity is and, and follow that. Um, and I, I definitely, you know, in the last year, as we've, like I mentioned, like had to shift everything to, you know, you know, remote performances and films, you know, really d diving in and, and putting the resources that we would have normally allocated to live performances into the film and seeing what an impact, you know, by really actually investing in these works um, and not kind of like, oh, we made this thing for stage and now we're going to make a short film as well. But like the film is the piece. And so that's been really fun for me just to like, like how, you know, instead of, you know, normally I would work with the lighting designer and the like crew at the theater. And now I'm working with the editor and, you know, color correction, all these different elements. Um, and it's just a whole different process. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, I think that would be the thing I would say is like too, like, you know, dance, 
you know, is in order to be accessible and to be something that feels relevant in the, you know, years ahead, I think like film is really an integral part of that. And um, so, you know, like finding opportunities, you know, it doesn't have to be a $100,000 budget for a, a major film. Like find someone who maybe is, even if they have an iPhone and just has an interest in like, you can learn so much just by playing. I actually wanted to tie back into this um, notion of collaborating with filmmakers. And I mean, this goes for really any kind of interdisciplinary collaboration in general, in that there can sometimes be challenges as far as talking across the disciplines. And especially in dance film, there's always this discussion of internalized hierarchies within um, a, a dance dancer starting to work with film and starting to work with a very, sometimes a task-based atmosphere. What advice do you have for young dancers or for choreographers with regard to how to communicate their intention with a um, with a director, or how to communicate, um, basically how to communicate their vision with a director and make it a true collaboration? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say you know, like collaborating is hard. Like collaborating assumes that you and another person are coming with different skill sets, with different ideas, with different life experiences, and you're finding a way to make something that in best case is greater than anything you could make on your own, either a collaborator, you know? And, and so what's really interesting about dance is I think we in a way already have a lot of skills of how to collaborate. We have to collaborate with lighting designers. We have to collaborate with costume designers, with our dancers, um, you know? And so we, we sort of do have some of these skills. And I think the big thing is learning the language. And, you know, for me with, whether it's working with an architect or working with a sculptor or a cinematographer, you know, I tend to, um, try to really listen a lot at the beginning and like what are their ideas what do they see because they are the they are the per they, there's a reason why I'm collaborating with them right it's because they know so much about this form um, and so you know I can I, I found like with any collaborator like the broader you know if you're talking about like everyone understands like loss like if you say this is about loss and this is about losing a loved one that transcends any form right we all can tie to like very visceral personal experiences so i think for me you know like if i talk to a cinematographer uh, that i'm working with or an editor like and i say like this is the emotional experience that i'm that I'm feeling and that I want to convey, you know, they can say, oh my gosh, what if we put the slow motion on it and that gives this like slow and like that will make us feel this. And so, you know, they know their tools, they know their, their craft. Um, so I would say, you know, definitely like really think about what it is that you want to express and then listen to see what your collaborator might suggest that would be, you know, things that you may not have thought about just because, you know, it's not our vocabulary. Um, I think I remember reading something um, that's a sometimes in interdisciplinary collaborations that someone, usually like it's on the tech side, um, you want to treat them as a collaborator and not the executor of a will. Like you really want to have that dialogue and not mm -hmm. you know, have them just be a means to an end to fulfill a vision. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that is the hard thing, you know, like choreographers, you know, in our current state are are really expected to be choreographers, directors, rehearsal directors, often producers. Um, so there is sort of this, you know, like uh, because so many hats are often worn, unless you're really creating work, you know, in like larger company settings, 
um, it's easy to feel, you know, I know I felt this for myself. Like I, I feel like, oh, I just need to make sure I do everything and that I, you know, and, and the hard part, the hardest part for me of collaborating is actually like letting go. And, you know, like the end of the day, like I, I have to trust the person editing this because they have a skill set that I don't have. So I can express my ideas, but I really have to actually trust them. Um, and so that would be the big thing, you know, like a collaborate, all of the successful collaborations I've had, I feel like come from finding someone whose work I really believe in, seeing what they've done, seeing, talking to them, hearing how they're thinking, what they're interested in creating. And then once you find someone that you really trust, hands off, let them do what they do. Um, you know, and I think the, the more you can find those people that, that really, not that they have the same ideas as you, ideally good collaboration involves like different ideas coming together in new ways. Um, but someone who's, you know, work you believe in, and then you can really trust them to make what they, to do what they do and to follow their vision. Um, so I think that's kind of, you know, as a, especially as a choreographer and, and having had to wear so many hats over the years, you know, to really trust the people that I'm working with to do what they do best. Um, yeah. So obviously this last year has been a very strange year and it's um, really forced a lot of choreographers to rethink their practice and rethink the way that they're creating work. And as you've mentioned, like many people are, now having to wear those uh, many hats and create work for the screen. How has your uh, relationship to uh, dance film shifted during the pandemic? And have there been any um, surprises that you've discovered along the way? Yeah, I mean, the biggest like joy that I found in creating work on film this year is that we can be anywhere. Like the cost to bring a set piece into a theater, you know, we, we could like spend so much money and have one really cool piece of scenery, which is really wonderful in a live performance to have scenic elements. You know, with film, we go outside and like mountains and rivers and, you know, like whatever it is that we might be interested in finding, like it's all there. It's a part of our world, you know, and it's and it's also, um, you know, some it's there are spaces that that other people can connect to because they like, oh, I've been there. I've I know this place. I have my own memories tied to these things, um, which is a really fun thing to play with. Um, so I would say for me, like, I've just been like really like enjoying the ability to have these like amazing like environments um, to to create work in. And, you know, not only in the actual, you know, film, but the creative process, making work outside um, and making a phrase that's inspired by the shape of a tree, um, creating a dance that, you know, is impacted by the fact that we're dancing on dirt. And what is that? Oh, all of a sudden we're going to kick up our heels and like create dust and like that changes what the movement is. And I think that like finding how our natural environment uh, like impacts the work um, both in the creative process and in the, in the final you know presentation and filming of the work is really interesting and I I'm almost like personally like I don't really want to go back into boxes I'm not really excited about uh, presenting work indoors um, I know that there are you know logistical reasons why dance inside makes sense you know um, for the performers you know having a controlled environment is really important um, but I think there's just so much that we can do. And I know for me, like I'm really excited to continue making film, but also 
seeing how can we present live performances outside? How can we, you know, use our natural environment as like a, a you know, as a character in our stories, you know, as, as an integral part and not just sort of an afterthought. Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, speaking of interesting environments, I think that um, there's a good solid argument that um, parking lots with a view of San Francisco in the background are now part of a Bay Area Christmas tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, quite a few people were introduced to post ballet and I mean Berkeley Ballet Theater, and which again I just want to shout out those uh, studio company members for a moment. Um, yes, but many so people proud. were introduced to them last December when um, when your interpretation of Waltz of the Snowflakes premiered on YouTube and has gained something like three hundred thousand views or something insane like that. How did each element of this film come together to create a whole that's resonated with so many people. Yeah, you know, it, it's so interesting because that, you know, in the process of making that, I would have never thought that it would be something that would would connect with people so deeply. I think that so much about it was just like so honest to the place we were at. We couldn't be inside. We, you know, we had to be outdoors. Um, we couldn't wear point shoes. We had to be in sneakers. Um, we had to wear masks, um, you know, so like all of these just sort of like elements, um, you know, were just sort of like real to where we were at. And, and yet the music of Waltz of the Snowflakes is so beautiful and and connects to so many memories, I think, for not only dancers, but I think, you know, because the Nutcracker is such a mainstream ballet performance, so many people just in general are familiar with it and like know that music. Um, and so to see something that I feel like was beautiful and celebrated dance and everyone coming together um, in the way that we could at that time. You know, no one touched, there was no partnering. Um, and yet seeing people dancing in unison when we were all kind of isolated, I think was really was really special and, and moving. Um, you know, and, and it was just one of those things where it was just sort of like we we created it not with the, you know, expectation of it having any sort of like popularity or success, but it was just sort of to do it because that was just sort of what felt right in that that time. Um, and there was something with Nutcracker performances being canceled all across the country. Um, you know, it was a way that we could kind of, you know, not only bring that tradition into people's lives, you know, this year, but also like start to reimagine how can we like use this like great pause that we've kind of gone through and are continuing to kind of go through at this time to really reevaluate like what are our traditions? What are the, the ways that we operate and, and why? Why are we doing that? And can we rethink it? And like, you know, the Nutcracker to me is such an Im important thing. You know, it's, it's a big part of why ballet exists in this country. You know, the revenue, of course, from ticket sales is, you know, what helps a lot of ballet companies sustain the rest of their seasons. Um, but can the Nutcracker evolve? Like, can it be something that actually connects to people with where we're at today that isn't hurtful to some people in our community? And those ideas come through so strongly in your newest project, uh, which is your interpretation of Swan Lake, which was um, had a premiere co-hosted by SFDFF. Now, what was it about uh, the ballet that resonated with you and inspired you to create your own re-envisioning of it. I mean, you've touched on it, but was there anything specific about the story or, or the structure or sort of um, the your own personal connection to the ballet that, 
influence yeah. um, the film we see. You know, my um, my aunt, Tanta, who um, really was just such a, a big supporter of me as a young dancer, as an artist, um, you know, she was a choral singer and really introduced me to a lot of classical music, um, supported my love for dance, um, you know, and she's just been truly my biggest advocate over the years. And, um, you know, she always asked me, Robert, when are you going to make a Swan Lake? Uh, and I told her, never, Tante, I will never make a Swan Lake. That is not, of all the things in my life, that is not one of the things. And here I am in 2021 making a Swan Lake. And, um, you know, and part of it was I, I really wanted to to dedicate the film to her. I wanted to, um, you know, just sort of say thank you for everything that she's given me. Um, you know, and I think as I thought about what I wanted to work on this spring with the company, you know, I feel like in this time, especially like over the last several months in the winter, you know, it was it was a tough winter for a lot of folks. Um, and I think I really wanted to create something that was just about beauty and joy. Like that music in second act, there's so much beautiful music in it. The opening, the two swan dance just feels so joyful to me. Um, and the idea of just being free and dancing on the side of a beach, um, on the side of a mountain, just being outside. Um, and, you know, it, it was really the story was kind of secondary to me. Um, I think what I was really excited about was just articulating this beautiful music in new ways, um, but also kind of finding how could we connect to, you know, the traditions of ballet and these sort of like, you know, original, you know, choreographic elements that we, we all kind of know, but also make it something, you know, that, that can reach new people. Because, you know, you go to see a four-act Swan Lake at a theater, it's three and a half hours, you watch the Mazurka and the Shardash, and like, it's just too, like, I am a, like, I love ballet, and I cannot sit through a full Swan Lake, I, I like, cannot, like, you know, and I think like, okay, yeah. but like, there's so much beauty in this, so how can we make something that connects to what it is that we love about ballet, that we love about this show of Swan Lake and this, you know, story and the music, but that's also something that people can actually engage with. What projects do you have coming up? Well, I'm really excited to share. Um, we are working on a new evening length film, live music collaboration with The Living Earth Show. It's called Lyra. Um, we actually started building the project in 2018 was supposed to premiere as a live performance in 2020. Obviously, you know, that uh, did not happen. Um, and so we kind of started thinking about what other ways could we tell this story. And so we're creating, um, an, it's basically a 70 minute film uh, that will be shot on location at various um, spots in California, including sand dunes and the bristlecone pine forest and in, um, you know, by rivers and lakes and just kind of, we have all these different locations um, around California that we'll be filming at. Um, and then the, the film will be presented with live music uh, performed by the Living Earth Show uh, oh, in October. Fantastic. So it'll be, it'll connect to that live music and live performance element that I think we all miss, of course, um, but it will create something that can exist beyond that performance that could be presented uh, in different ways, in different areas. Um, because again, like we're looking at it being in a theater space, which just has a limited, you know, capacity for who gets to see it. And so I'm excited to think about how we can also look forward to like making work that integrates film that has that component and live elements and how can it all kind of come together 
Um, so our resident choreographer, Vanessa Thiessen, will be creating that work, uh, and composer Samuel Adams uh, created the score for it. So I'm really excited to work on that in the coming months, um, and that'll premiere in the fall. And um, yeah, just looking forward to seeing that happen. And um, you know, as far as with what Berkeley Ballet Theater is up to, uh, I think we're really excited to continue seeing how film can be a part of what we present and share. I think, especially for the next generation of dancers who I know are going to pass me by uh, with like leaps and bounds <laughs> with what they do. Um, uh, I'm super excited to start to give them the tools of like how to collaborate with a cinematographer, how to work with um, this new medium, and bring our love for dance into this digital platform. And um, so I think as we continue making work and presenting, you know, new new collaborations, that they will continue to involve film for sure. Fantastic. Well, I believe I speak on behalf of everyone who's listening that we are all very excited to see that oh, as well. Thank you. The San Francisco Dance Film Festival presents its Spring Fling on demand from May 14th through the 23rd showcasing a handful of live performances captured on film, from the exclusive screening of Matthew Bourne's The Red Shoes to Oha Naharin's Yog the Movie and Alexander Ekman's A Swan Lake, viewers are in for a treat. Also, the award winners from the 2020 festival will be screening during this time. For more information and tickets, see the link in the show notes. Dancing Through the Lens is a production of the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. It is produced and hosted by Coral Martin and Claire Schweitzer. Theme music for Dancing Through the Lens was composed by Daria Novo. You can find the San Francisco Dance Film Festival online at sfdancefilmfest.org and in the social media pages linked in the show notes.